0: Hello, I'm Rob Hirschfeld, CEO and co-founder of RackN and your host for the Cloud 2030 podcast. Today's episode is a recap of the Google Next event. So a deep dive into interesting topics about what Google was announcing at their flagship cloud event. Um, We had some really interesting pieces where we looked at what they were doing for AI, but also some new services offerings around what's going on with cloud. Uh, And then we pulled back from that and went back into um, a short topic on generative DevOps. Uh, Something we're going to be diving into more and more as I do a bit of speaking around how to better use large language models in DevOps and automation building. Uh, So fascinating topics for that and um, some probing questions on my part at the very end of this discussion. If that's of interest to you, jump forward uh, to about 15 minutes in and you can hear our back and forth about those topics in addition to the Google Next ones, I know you'll enjoy the conversation. Checking in, but I am—I am I'm super curious about uh, Google Next. So I was hoping we'd spend some well, looking to uh, talk about that. And then I'm—I'm I'm working on a um, pre- an update to my uh, using generative DevOps thing, and I'd, I'd be happy to, to get uh, talk some of that through. I've got to got to get it done by Thursday.
1: Uh, well, it, it, uh, the, those two go quite hand-in-hand hand because okay. um, like 90% of the material at uh, Google Next was uh, generative AI on how Google is. Oh, my goodness.
0: Okay. <laughs> um, I, I, I'd love to hear, love to hear what, what you thought and how it was. Sorry to put you on the spot. <laughs> no worries. not.
1: Um So they they went with generative AI in in two directions, actually. Um, One is using their uh, duet uh, AI part, Mm -hmm. which seems to be more UX-centered, things like summarization and and so on. Uh, And then they have their vertex AI, uh, which is more for generation. or at least that, that's the feel yeah. I, I get from it. So that it, they got some interesting integrations there. Uh like for example, uh with their security dashboard, they can now give you a uh, summary of a threat actor uh and and how it relates to activity that's been seen in in, in your dashboards. Oh, well wow. um they can do things like um well you you for example you, you can take you can create some resources using their their cloud console uh and then let uh, the AI uh produce uh, terraform files for you so that you can reproduce those same resources declaratively um okay. there's a lot of uh, workspace integration as well um so again summarization generation uh things that i imagine are going to be useful for um documentation related tasks like ssps and um um ssps uh, SSP oh, okay. is like a security something plan uh okay uh, so th- essentially uh, it's it's part of uh fedramp uh steps where you say like okay like this is what we are doing to secure our platform Ah, or our our product so uh, whenever you make an update or 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 add a product to the federal boundary you have to produce an ssp to say to assert that your changes are in line with their requirements um, okay. So uh, so yeah, so being able to automate training uh, that uh, it would save a lot of time.
0: Okay. Um, that's, that's, it's, I, I'm, I'm, I'm laughing because having AI generate um, that type of assessment does not mean that somebody's going to read it. And then I, I wonder if uh, FedRAMP on the other side is going to generate the read it, review it by AI. Not. I'm not sure it matters. Maybe it's fine.
1: Well, but, right now they do read it, okay. uh, and 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 the, and the the agencies that that do rely on FedRAMP, they, they they do they do tend to go through it with a fine tooth comb. Um, okay, and that's they should like like this is this is essential to uh, the security of uh, their systems. Um, mm-hmm. Okay, and yeah, so uh, but but even uh, like outside of the the um the environments where uh compliance is, is necessary like just just being able to um fill out the uh n- not just the boilerplate of of, of a
0: document but uh, but also fairly good details actually look up look uh, up your look up your configurations and, and yeah. set the information that is fast that is fast. yeah that is powerful it, yeah it
1: might not be the final product but it will be a, a damn good at turning out a first draft uh, yeah. And uh, and then you can only iterate from from there and, and make it better. So uh, it it it's looking to be quite a time saver. Um, yeah they, they of course they also are going into the the code generation space as well, similar similar to uh, GitHub's Copilot or uh, I forget what uh, what Amazon's version of that was,
0: um, Code Whisper. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So are those are, are those things starting to train on your own code versus like like are they? Because one of the things that VMware was doing that I thought was interesting is they're doing Code Whisper and things like that, but they're using your own code base to help inform those models. Because I think that that's where it starts getting really interesting.
1: That I don't know. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm I'm fairly sure that 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 the Google CEO will eventually be able to do that. Um, but I I don't know if the other ones uh, do that yet. Uh, one thing that that Google does have, which I found quite interesting, is they have domain specific generative models. So uh, as opposed to say with ChatGPT, where you have a general purpose model that that you try to, to fit into every single nook and cranny, uh, right. Google. Um, they've announced several various tailored models. So let's say like there's one model for uh security assessment. There's one model for, uh, I don't know, a terraform, uh, one model for, uh, there like the Google docs or, or spreadsheets integrations, um, which I think is a step in the right direction. Um, it is going to make it a lot, uh, Uh, easier to tune these models for their specific needs without uh, having side effects that that are detrimental to other use cases oh interesting okay uh
0: so i mean how how much expertise do you need in these models to then take advantage of them is are they right are they generally accessible for people i mean um I, I mean, are you do I mean, okay. and you're you're not a general person, but um you know, is it is it reasonable to go in and say, Oh, I'm gonna tune I'm gonna tune some of these models? What is it what does it take to do that?
1: I I don't think these models are gonna be needing as much tuning as as GPT because they already come pre-tuned for specific use cases. Uh and these use cases are largely well integrated with Google's products, or at least their cloud products, um, it it might come to a point where where you do want to do some tuning um, in, like for your, um, like if if you rely heavily on in it for document generation. However, a lot of that would likely already be um be covered by allowing these models to use your online documentation as an input so so one for example okay. one of the, the the things that that the, the workspace integration now has is that um you can use a natural language search on your entire online documentation on your google docs on your spreadsheets uh, everything that that is in your workspace or your emails, uh, if you allow it to, um, oh, which means that okay. uh, that you can say like, okay, like give me a summary of every interaction I have had uh, with Rob Hirschfeld, uh, whether it's like emails from Zoom or or direct communications and so on, and then and, and it will produce that information. Um, I I would not be surprised that uh, that a lot of people will end up also using that information to also uh, as an input for their alternative uh, side of things. So that, um, like instead of asking for a summary, you you can train an end of year report saying like, okay, this is all of the interaction I've had with this kind of company, and off you go. Which uh like in my mind it is for example a a huge time series and in, in terms of for example uh legal interactions let's say a oh, a yeah. company is served a, a subpoena uh indicating like okay anything related to this product uh it needs to be uh, preserved because there is um like someone is doing due to copyright or something like that now the the assistant would easily be able to identify related documents and mm-hmm. put them aside in a report
0: you i <laughs> Goodness, I mean, Google's current search stuff is actually so bad. <laughs> is this is this immediate? Uh, you know, help with some of that stuff potentially, and and just using should be using it, telling it to train on our. Actually, I want to think: is is if this is trained, then you're going to have to be constantly retraining to make sure that you've pulled in the latest data for that. Or is there a, is there some mitigation for that?
1: Um. Well, that, that's the thing. You you don't need to to train your model. The the, the data is just the input. Oh, and they've, oh. they've now like some of the, their their models have capability of like huh. hundreds of thousands of tokens uh, as an input. Like like you, you can oh, you interesting. Can, like the, their model can now take the entire the entirety of War and Peace. As a single document, untokenized. Uh, that that's a huge document. That's a huge uh, document. Yeah. yeah. So. But... So like yeah. So yeah. So now being being able to to take like the entire workspace as an input is. Uh, is that is at least not impossible. I, I I'm I'm not going to make a judgment call yet as to whether it's viable or practical. Okay. Um, but
0: it's not impossible. I mean, how's that different than training a model? I mean, at, at some point, it seems like you should just train a—you should train an auxiliary model or train a, a a layer to digest all that information. That's a huge amount of input into every. And, and maybe I'm not sure how how, to, how we use it. Right, you're you're. Creating a prompt. as part of your your input for your your prompt engagement. Um.
1: That that was actually a discussion that that that, um, that came up during one of the security panels, okay. and that a, a lot of seem uh, users want to only store. Summarized data, not raw data. Um, which okay. again, like in in itself, is is not a a great idea in the security field. But the request for that is there. Uh, so, um, so yeah, there the, there is a present uh, for this kind of behavior where you can, let's say, like, like condense. Your information, uh, or 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 at least make a make a set of references, and, and then uh, have your uh, model, uh, if necessary, to delegate to another one, uh, like to narrow down. Um, I'm not sure if the practicalities of that are are ever going to coalesce. Um, but there, there is certainly demand for that.
0: i I guess when, what I was expecting you to talk about with them and where this has been surprising is, you know, I was expecting it to be a whole bunch of tools to let you use models and things like that. But what you're describing right now is they're doing a whole bunch of AI on your own, the data you've already got with Google. Right, they're doing the model training. Is that?
1: Yeah, this is they 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 went very heavily into integration. So this is not just off-the-shelf models or standalone tools. This is all tightly integrated with their ecosystem, which is both a boon in that if you are in their ecosystem, um you get the benefits fairly quickly um, of course it also has the downside of it being tightly integrated in the system so it makes it a lot more difficult to to leave uh, if um, if you want to or or to switch to a different tool even so the the question about vendor lock-in is is, is becoming, uh, Much much more of a a hot topic now.
0: (laughs) I could see that. I mean, because like the work we're doing where we're taking our data sets and training them on, on, you know, hugging face to then turn into a a prompting system. I I mean, it almost sounds like that's all built in with, with Google at this point. Like we could, like we wouldn't have to do that if we put all the data into the right places in Google and can we um, can we can we fence it? would be part of my question would be like all right if if you know hey we want to train with this data, but not this data
1: if your data meets one of the predefined use cases for which they already have a model, then you would likely need to do hardly any training. You, should, you will okay. just need to need to point your model at your data, and, and, and then you can start prompting. Um, if you wow. have a particular use case that does not meet any of their existing models or does not meet hundred percent meet their models, they have the capability of customizing models, uh, and okay. and even like upload your own custom model. Um,
0: but it really, is, it really comes back to what your token. I mean, it's, it's almost not a new model. You're, what you described was that you're tokenizing all of your data and feeding it into the model, exactly. versus versus building a custom model. I, I think we're doing the same thing. We're tokenizing all the data we want people to use, and then feeding it, letting Hugging Face. It's just a, it's just a, it's just tokens into the existing model.
1: Yeah. Now, the, mm-hmm. the the this approach also opens the possibility of opening a model marketplace, okay, like so, similar to their, their their application marketplace, where you can say like, okay, I, I want to run Elasticsearch, and then you just like two clicks away, and, and it creates the cluster for you, and, and off you go. Um, you can do the same thing um, potentially uh, with with models, I I imagine the future, like if they they have the UX Mm -hmm. for that, where where I imagine people can generate custom models for particular use cases, um, and then just publish them and and let people consume them for,
0: for a price. Right um but what you're describing to me actually says there you know there might be a ton of models but you're the the real thing that you're ta- we're talking about here that to me is different is the amount of of tokenizing that's going into using a standard model versus thinking oh i've got my own data and i've got to train it yeah
1: yeah so so that okay. yeah that the, the tokenizing part that is is made simpler and the, the training part, um I think for ninety percent of the of the, of the users that like they won't need to do any training, uh given the these custom models that, that exist, which is again like from the usability perspective, quite a win.
0: That's a huge that's a huge deal. Because yeah. I think the training of the models is super hard and a lot of people have assumed that they're gonna have to build that expertise. Yeah. Um, um now yeah. for
1: the non-AI topics at next, there's two things that there were uh quite interesting. One is uh Google Cloud Connect. Uh and this allow allows you to connect workloads on other clouds to Google. Um, and um essentially reduce or a increase integration and B reduce uh, egress traffic costs um, yeah. on on the Google side, okay, um, which I mean it it doesn't cut co- it doesn't reduce egress on 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 the foreign cloud side, so so, that, <laughs> Oops, so that's okay. still uh, a problem there or at least a, a cost there. But but at the very least, uh, it it shows Google wanting to. Um, to expand their management capability to other clouds.
0: Oh, interesting. Okay, okay.
1: So, that's, so that's that's going to be um, it's going to be like, something like to watch.
0: using using Google as the primary interface for an Amazon cloud. Because so far um, we haven't seen a lot of that, but um,
1: it's, it's more that you you procure. The infrastructure on the Amazon side, but then you integrate the management of the workload on it with your Google uh, console. Okay. Or, or at least that, that, that is how I interpret it the, the major selling point of, of Google Cloud Connect. Um, and then the, the third part, uh, the, the third thing, which, which is actually. What I got the most excited about, even though it 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 was almost a side note, uh, is that um, there's a number of web vendors, including NetApp, which uh, whose products are now first party citizens in Google Cloud. So for high performance computing, for example, you are able to provision an HPC storage pool with it that that gives you thin volume provisioning. With uh out, so out of that pool you, you can create 10 volumes for, for multiple workloads. Okay. Um it gives you five hundred thousand IOPS, which for HPC is <laughs> it's really nice. Okay. Um uh and uh I forgot how many petabytes but but it was um like Right, right there on on their upper end of uh, of capabilities.
0: Oh, huh. is so, I mean, is as a as a SaaS service where they're managing the storage, or as a control plane?
1: Um, as a SaaS service. Okay. So, so essentially, like you would now um, huh. provision, uh, like uh, any kind of cloud volume, like like a persistent volume, um you will be able to do that with uh, these other uh, partner v- uh, vendors.
0: Oh, that's fascinating. Like, so with a NetApp backend, like the NetApp SaaS service? Essentially, yes.
1: And, and, and not as a marketplace, okay. Alan, but uh, but uh, again, as, as a
0: first class citizen. There's a core service. Yeah. Oh.
1: so yeah that that, that got the high performance computing enthusiasts in me really excited
0: would you why why would that be an advantage over what google's own offering would be like is it just net you know something like netapp is a better storage model for that what's
1: well uh, again so the a is that the iops which is like mm. so far, the highest of that any kind of cloud provider can can offer you. Okay. Um, B the the thin provisioning, um, which means that this you a big can, deal, yeah, yeah. Um, and, and C uh, the fact that it's a storage pool and not just a single volume. So. Hmm. So again, you you, you reserve a certain amount of storage for all of your workloads. And and then all of that you carve out separate uh, volumes, which, again, they're thin provisions. Uh, And you can, you can attach as many workloads as reasonably possible uh, to that pool, and and potentially share the, the storage as well. Which means that, for example, uh, again, high performance computing where you need to move data from one system to another. Now you have a, right. sh- a shared pool for that.
0: So I, you, it's interesting. I, I, I see the benefit. I, I guess I'm, su- I'm surprised that it was that it's, it's only now <laughs> coming about. <laughs> those are those are. It's funny because those strike me as things that like NetApp has been offering for a long time. Um, I when I go, I mean, I know the performance is improved and things like that, but if I, if, if you bought a net app filer, some of those features you would have gotten if you, if you were hosting it, but yeah. Um, okay. Which uh, is, a, you know, a, a big benefit that they've had in, in market. So having, having, using the vendor to actually be able to deliver the IOPS that, you know, they've had in their product for a while is, is a significant thing as a, in, as a, Built-in service, yeah.
1: That's um, a and deep this, integration.
0: That's a very the, deep integration.
1: Now, this also has side effects, not just for HPC, uh, but mm-hmm. particularly like, for example, databases. Like migrating, like it opens the possibility of doing a live migration to a new uh, or like like a Right now with, with uh with Cloud SQL,
0: um,
1: which is Google's uh, RDS competitor, um if you do a system upgrade or or a failover, that's that still incurs downtime. Like uh, the their SLA is essentially three nines. Yeah. Uh or or actually nine nine point five, I think. Um with a shared storage pool, you have the possibility of having almost zero downtime. Because you can spin up a new database server, uh, warm it up on the the live data on an existing server, uh, and then failover to it. and, and, And right away, you can start serving And, and yes, like not every database server is gonna be compatible with that. <laughs> sure. Um, but um, it the all has the possibility funds for are. It.
0: The high performance ones yeah. are going to be. Yeah, that's having having really a significant storage backend on things like that. Really cha- you know, allows you to to do some some really um, high performance you know, system management components. Interesting. Do you think this is enterprise requirements coming forward? Because some of that is, I, I think, back to, you know, this is a long time, you know, 10 years ago now, But um, and the whole idea of, you know, treating, treating all the VMs as disposable and, you know, just spin up more and more VMs. Some of what you're describing um, has an enterprise feel to it. From a you know oh we're gonna we you know we're gonna maintain a cluster behind the scenes with with you know high performance storage in it um, where we're you know where we can have high uptime guarantees on on components like that because we're using high quality um, architectural pieces or, rather than rearchitecting things. So do you I mean right with with like Kubernetes, people are like, oh, I don't care. I'm just the cluster takes care of it. What you're describing, I think, is important, but it, there's an element of I'm I'm wire, I'm, you know, I don't have to let the architecture do it. I can wire in the systems. And maybe I don't understand the, the HPC use case as well. Yeah. Um, interesting. Yeah. I- It's, I mean, I've been waiting for there, there's a interesting piece with, that you're describing where some of the capabilities that, um, were available, you know, if you bought all the gear and wired it all yourself, you know, right, haven't made it to the cloud as much yet. And, and we've had all these compensating factors to get there with what you're describing is, you know, taking, taking stuff to that, that more, you know, architect, uh, I'm using architectural wrong, I think. Um, So, you know, the services are all are all there where you can actually build, you know, a really resilient service out of them without having to architect things to be a distributed infrastructure. Or am I missing or am I missing something?
1: Um, no, I, I think you, you you got the gist of that. I
0: think that's cool. No. that's cool. Is there a use? Do you have a immediate use case? I know you do a certain degree of HPC at work.
1: Um. Well, again, databases, uh, like reduced downtime, is one of the, the use cases that I can think of. Um. In in previous employment, I I would also uh have um. I could also have seen this uh as being useful for uh blockchain uh, b- uh backups and oh interesting uh, and and bootstrap like particularly with with, with mature blockchains that that uh, have been running for for months or, or or years um the historical data can get quite sizable, which yeah. means that bootstrapping a new node um takes a lot of time, uh, or pr- particularly a full node, uh, and um, mm-hmm. every blockchain needs to have at least a like a needs to have a a minimum amount of nodes that, that run the, the the full chain, uh, yeah. in order to to be able to reboot, it if necessary. So a shared storage pool like this would. Immensely speed up the process yeah. because, I like again, a lot of the this historical data it, it doesn't change, but it needs to be shared uh, among
0: multiple instances. Right. So you can you you can use a shared a shared base image and then then provision the deltas on top of it. Yeah, from that perspective, yeah.
1: And, and the and the fact that it's a shared storage pool means that uh, you can essentially get a live copy of all of the um, the blocks in, in, in the chain that, that you know want to change and then once you know it goes online it just uh syncs the the most recent data
0: right makes sense huh.
1: and and oh, uh go ahead and also for for backups i, I imagine this uh it's going to be uh quite useful as well since um, NetApp historically uses uh, um, copy and write. Copy and write. Mm-hmm. So uh, so taking a snapshot uh,
0: and a clean snapshot too, in particular is going to be a lot easier. I think it's fascinating to have, and maybe this is an aspect of Google trying to you know, maybe be more willing to partner, but because uh, uh, I haven't seen NetApp I guess NetApp does have offerings in all the in all the other clouds uh, to one extent or another, but um, this strikes me as a pretty foundational integration where they're they're actually offering somebody else's tech as a core part of their service. Um, yeah. I that would be a nice posture, <laughs> considering how much people are worried about. Uh, <laughs> It's taking uh, appropriating tech or copying it from that that perspective from from these these other these clouds Amazon I think reputationally more than others um, which...
1: and and the last interesting part is mm-hmm. uh thing is that um, Google um, Google Cloud Next 2024 is going to be in March.
0: Oh, that's not that far are they changing yep. the cadence or are they just speeding up or they this is a one time did they tell you
1: i i don't know if it's one time or changing cadence they're, okay. they're definitely changing venue though they're, they're moving to vegas okay um, <laughs> and, and that one word of mouth is that it's because um Dave have uh, uh Moscone center is, is is no longer big enough for them
0: just like what happened with VMware. Oh dear. I should get a lifetime uh Venetian membership. I don't know. God. Lord. Um. <laughs> okay. Well I in some ways uh I guess I prefer going to Vegas over uh heading to the Mersconey Center. I don't know. Uh, good <laughs> to know I thought actually I thought Google Google Next was in March in the past and then they maybe they slid it for COVID but hmm. I, don't, I, don't, I, I don't remember specifically enough like and and remembering if it was cold and rainy for a San Francisco event does not tell me what month it was in
1: <laughs> well it was definitely not, not cold or rainy um, this time around
0: Okay. Um, I'm trying to. I like. I went to. Like, I was. I. I didn't go in. I didn't buy a pass. But I was hanging out outside of a Google Next event, um, way back when they were in the north. It was like north North Building only. Mm-hmm. Um, type type of venue. Huh. Okay. It sounds sounds like they're. Um, Actually, I, I guess along the lines for the questions is, are they starting to bridge the... First times I've always seen it, it's basically been Google Cloud only, or mostly Google Cloud. What you're describing sounds like their services that they're integrating in with their other... The Office suite pieces. Yeah. Going back to where you started, where you were, the, you were starting with the AI, piece with AI. Yeah. I,
1: I mean, ultimately... Um, I I think that that it's it's still primarily Google Cloud. It's okay. just that in in this case, they, they had a a really good use case for it in on, on their on their workspace mm-hmm. um, suite, and it and they just had to showcase it. But but um uh, but uh, Do it AI uh and um and vertex ai those are still google cloud products so
0: this is more huh. about them them huh. dog fooding their own services interesting but um i was listening to the hard fork podcast um and i can't tell the two of the part well enough I'm sorry, <laughs> but one of them was uh has uh notebooking and organizations and to do it was a really good thing he was at the he was, he was at got access to the Google I guess it was duet um where he he could dump in all his notes and it would then analyze back it, like he could he could then treat all of his notes in history as a chat in a chat interface uh-huh. um and he was pretty excited about um you know you're saying it sounds like what he was describing too um where you can come back and say okay i want you know i'm, I'm going to use a chatbot to query all of my research um and that you know that that felt powerful especially since what what he was saying and you you said the same thing it's it's sandboxed so it's only your data um it makes more sense if it's because it's tokenized to be your data, rather than a model that it's trained on your data. That's right. Yeah. Okay.
1: And, and yes, like, um, powerful, as you said, that is, it's definitely the the right way to describe it. Um, Although I I do have to admit that I am I I, I I have to take it with a drop of skepticism or a pinch of skepticism. Okay. And and a big glass of weariness.
0: <laughs> uh, Noted. <laughs> yeah.
1: But, because th- this is so tightly integrated that it doesn't mm. leave a lot of space
0: for third party uh oh. systems. Not where I thought you would go. Interesting.
1: Okay. And, and yeah, yes. I mean, there's also the, the price implications, but I, I think those are no different than using any other alternative AI system that that's
0: hosted. Yeah, no. Um, I those, those, the the idea of having uh, any chatbot but you know Google Google trained on my emails and documents seems pretty cool. Or you know, tokenized to to prompt with with that as a background piece of information. Um, I would not be very excited if it was taking my emails and then for make using that as a training data for everybody else in the company. Um, so it there it's going to have to be the guardrails, right? Because like even you can be like, oh, I'm going to take all of Rackens data and you know use it to prompt my my training set. Um, there's things in the in that that you know, document by document permission settings that you know have to be accounted for in this, um, and then there's even security issues where you could have documents that shouldn't have been accessible but are but end up in the in the in the prompting sets, and we're you know we're seeing people, you know, getting good at prompting to get sensitive information out of these models. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, yeah, uh, security is um the next big uh the next big field for generative ai uh, as well uh both in terms of using generative ai to to help um like sock uh, type work but also um finding ways of, of doing uh attestation uh, and uh, and securing the the tokens or the the source of the tokens uh, for generative models.
0: Oh my goodness! Ooh, I hadn't even thought. Yeah, if you tokenize a whole bunch of data and it's laying out there, you could you could have somebody grab that uh, tokenized data because you just made it easier to digest. Yep.
1: Uh, yeah, it, it's, it's, uh, <laughs> that, it's a it's uh it's a double cool
0: thing that we can do. Oh oh wait, that just made it super leaky. Uh, here. <laughs> this is I mean, it, it's interesting because this is a refinement to what we were talking about a year ago when this stuff started to to trend, um, which was providence, right? Providence of data was a concern. And we were worried about copyright and ownership. Um, And that's not that different than provenance and ownership of data, even if you're talking about within my company of using emails to train, you know, to to influence the model that I'm using.
1: You know, how? Actually, speaking of provenance uh, um, or provenance, um, Google also has announced a um new way of watermarking um ai generated images uh, Mm. in a way that is uh resistant to uh to removal by image manipulation and i am not quite sure but like okay they're, they're a little bit mum about how they're implementing this uh, but okay. for example, um, things like cropping an image or, or or deleting the metadata does not remove the, the watermark. Ah, the watermark, okay.
0: Yeah, I was gonna say, you and, can't really watermark something without explaining how it's watermarked. Yeah, I, I, and it is a
1: watermark that is not human visible. Okay. But uh, essentially it, it can be used to, to, to demonstrate that an image was generated with
0: AI or at least modified with AI. The, the one that adds the watermark at least, yeah. Okay,
1: which um, yeah. which does have some interesting implications as well in in terms of like okay, like being able to to prove provenance of an of an image, uh, being able to prove authenticity of an image, um, but um it also has some serious um, price implications. Like for example, if this kind of wall marking were to start showing up in cell phones, um, yes, it, it's great to, to be able to show that I was the author of this image and therefore I should receive credit for it. Uh, on the other hand, it would also be severely detrimental for whistleblowers.
0: would it be detrimental for whistleblowers oh because all of a sudden you could figure out where they where they they got that information just like the all the copy machines and printers uh inject a watermark serial yep. number
1: yeah yeah no, no longer being able to anonymously report
0: something with an image i don't don't you think that ship already sailed though I mean, I guess, unless you're taking a picture of it, but. Um, actually, that's always a question. If you, air, it, it is the this, if you take a picture of an AI generated machine, uh, system with a watermark, uh, you might, you might, uh, effectively flatten, flatten out that, um, that you're back to a picture, but, oh dear, we're, we're in for, this is not going to get resolved, um. Um.
1: Yeah, it, it, it's
0: there's uh, gonna be some
1: interesting times uh, <laughs> where, particularly if, if these tools end up getting, getting used in a, in a court of law, um.
0: Yeah, yeah. we'll we'll have to see. Yeah, I mean the whole whole evidentiary rules are gonna get, uh, wishy washy, I and mean, we'll we'll keep talking about it. I uh, these are these are, are very real issues. Mm-hmm. I do do you mind pivoting for a minute and talk going back through um the I'm trying to update the generative AI um generative DevOps conversation talk. Mm-hmm. Um, oh boy. I and I keep one of the things I keep hoping for. There's two things. One is I'm I'm trying to give examples of using ChatGPT to do generative work. And the interesting thing that I'm finding now, and I feel like there's a change in behavior maybe with four, is it's so damn chatty. Uh, <laughs> like if I ask it a question, um I, I actually I'll give you I said I'm working on a thread to try and you know encourage encourage people to do good prompting and to you know ask it ask ask the chatbot for for incremental help and so like i started with this question i need help from a devops expert to create some cloud provisioning scripts and it didn't just say i'm you know it just said i'm happy to do that but then it actually generated another you know 100 lines of you know example terraform scripts on aws like instead of querying me what i want to do it's it's already suggesting answers which i find actually problematic like any suggestions on how to get this thing to actually ask you know prompt me through guide me through maybe i just need to say um i'll try that Ah. Uh. Not off the top of my head. Okay. Um, yeah, it you... keeps it keeps like it like in this case like it's it's coming back and I'm like oh I assume you need a Kubernetes cluster and then it which is exactly what it did last time um, and it's it's already taking me it's 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 pushing me down a direction really really suddenly mm-hmm. and maybe that's part of what I'm going to talk about with this but. Um, seems it's 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 a little frustrating um, yeah.
1: i I guess you could uh, try to frame the the conversation more in the context of perhaps um, requirement specification where yeah. where the, this where you make it clear from that the system Needs to get more information from you than it already has,
0: um. But I would have to play around with the wording before. Yeah, no, that's a good suggestion because when I when I say, "Hey, you know, what requirements or questions should I consider?" Um, it it pulled back. Um. So I think part of part of the thing. That I need to explain because I'm I'm looking at doing this as a you know concrete tra- how to tra- I want to train people on being better DevOps engineers using this and part of what I'm trying to get them to do is to not just say give me a script that does X <laughs> but but leverage the you know the 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 knowledge here um, and I think part of the challenge is the chatbot is so determined to be chatty, I mean. And, by definition, I guess, but it's not being thoughtful about like, oh, let me, you know, use Socratic method a little bit and say, you know, what do you need? It's it's jumping in and answering questions is making a lot of assumptions. And that's yeah. probably the lesson I need to. Uh, to take into account for this.
1: Yeah, I, I would say that that perhaps it it would be worth to. Like, uh, particularly in the, in the context where you're saying, like using generative AI to become better DevOps, uh, mm-hmm. a better DevOps person. Um, I mean, the, the problem is not that much different from the problem that you would have when you were doing if you were doing an online search. Like, if you if you put a generic question out there, you're going to get generic answers, or or, or not. Yeah, or at least answers that, that don't very well fit to your to what you, you need to answer it. Um, and the more specific you are, uh, the, the closer you are going to get to what you need. And with, with online search, it, it is typically a refinement process where you, where you use particular keywords that you know are specific, and then try to like modify them if if you need more iterations to say like okay like I I know I want to know learn about or or get some information about I don't know um deployments in in in, in Kubernetes. Right. And then you get like everything from Tekton to CI pipelines and it's like no I, I don't want that. I want something GitHub specific. And then you get Argo CD on flux answers and it's like, okay, just Argo CD. Right. Um, now with the, with the China-Lift AI, you have more of a conversational model, but you can still do the same kind of refinement there where you start circling, uh, or, or drawing smaller circles around what you want by enhancing your prompt.
0: That's and I think that's part of, I, I I have a vision for the type of information I'm going to give for this talk, but I think I need to pull it back even further and and talk about um, you know basically building up um, you know better and better prompts. I, I I've been doing this with some writing. Like one of the things we're doing when we use GPT assisted writing is we end up building a template that has a whole bunch of information and sort of warming, you know, warming information about like, oh, this is the type of writing we want to do with this type of voice, with this type of context that includes these facts, with this, that expresses this point of view and avoids this type of statement, right? We, we, we end up with, um a fair bit of framing back into that um conversation yeah
1: i mean going back to to google cloud next the like, yeah. du- du- duet ai is now uh generally available to all users worldwide on, on their workspace okay. so um hmm. one thing that you could try is perhaps Like if the question is specifically about, let's say, something related to infrastructure that you manage with Terraform, you could upload the Terraform files uh, and see if it can answer questions related to that context. Because then you already have your tokens. You shouldn't need to be able to construct your frame as extensively as you would if you started from scratch. At least that—that's that, what Google yeah. is promising, That uh, this would be a a a good use case to to test it out. So, like, does it meet the expectations?
0: That's and I'm I'm going to be playing around a little bit, having it generate some generate some scripts, you know, generate some Terraform, generate some Ansible, interpret some Ansible, and interpret some Terraform. Um, so to actually use it to say, oh, okay, I'm going to, before I commit this, I want you to review what I wrote and give me pointers on it and and how that looks. Because um, I think part of what I, what I want to, what I'm trying to convey with this is, you know, use it as a copilot. Don't use it as a, um, you know, jackhammer. Don't use it to just generate, as, to, to be a, a script kitty, use it to, you know, be more thoughtful in what you do, but to do that, you're going to have to it actually requires a lot of interpretation and you have to, you have to read the results. That's what, that's what I was thinking when you were talking about the SS, the the security documents, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> one of the dangers is right. Hey, I just generated all my security documents. I'm not going to take the time to review them. I'm just going to say, Oh, that looks great. Go. Um, and there is a human human attribute of right things that are high very close to right it's very hard for us to detect issues and errors in them it's like automated autonomous, drive, autonomous cars are like this the the chauff- the safety drivers you know get lulled into a false sense of security they don't have any warning yeah.
1: um and so so these security documents said that they're not declarative the Policies. They're, they're, mm-hmm. as, they're again, they're, they're just a document that that essent—that's is, is essentially your assertion as someone who wants to run a workload, a, a FedRAMP right. compatible work, a workload, uh, that says, I uh, my my workload meets the security requirements huh. that um, that the FedRAMP customer."
0: Has established, so it's a contract. Describes how how it's actually built and what it does, which is very formulaic.
1: You yeah. need it, it, and formulaic. Right? It, it's a contract, so um, I mean, you still want to review the contract, but as long as it doesn't promise anything that you are not doing, um, and as long as the customer is satisfied with what you are promising in the SSP. then that's it so mm-hmm. it, it is a it is a venn diagram and, and and you just need to find the content that meets that 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 meets the the overlapping area uh, so this is where 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 the the child of ai would Would be useful and that it it can generate this content much more rapidly and with a language that is um, right has just the right level of of, uh, of detail
0: and is based and is based on the actual text and and what you've what you've developed i mean it's i think that's i think it's fascinating to be able what you're what we're effectively saying and then we we need to wrap up is I've tokenized the my, my cloud configuration for this user. I want you to write an SSP description of this cloud configuration so that I can explain it to them in an auditable way. Mm-hmm. And I, you know those that's really powerful and helpful um it's also interesting to me to, to to be able to say can you give the can you create a condensed you know a shorthand version as a spreadsheet or something like that that we could we could include as an appendix or something like that and then you um you get sort of the best of both worlds you'd be able to say here's your human readable version and here's your ai readable version but, or yeah. i guess what you what you described was exported as terraform for me and somebody could ingest it to say, yeah, here's what here's what we're building, using a neutral for a syntax. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, when you when you, to me, this is like flipping around the, the telescope. There's times when you're like, oh, I'm not worried about building terraform. I'm actually using using, you know, a, that schema as a documentation source. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's fascinating. Yep. All right. Oh, just thank you for the-, the thank you for the debrief on, on Google Next. That was fascinating.
1: Yeah. To just, just a la- la- last thing yeah, that yeah. that uh, dropped this morning, uh, open open TF so the ah. Terraform fork, uh, they have now opened their uh, repositories. <laughs> uh- it's,
0: it's um, happening. I, I definitely want to to drill more into that. Um, we're not the next couple of Tuesdays. I'm not available, so we're off for th- at least three for three weeks. Just a heads up. Um, and by then, who knows what will happen to Open Terraform? Did you also see that um, HashiCorp responded by by um, not allowing access to the provider libraries um, for? I, I have yes.
1: Oh uh, and then OpenTFS responded to that by saying, "Like, well, yeah, we we can rehost it.
0: We'll just re- oh, What? Every time I read more news about this, it's the the HashiCorp did this as a thought thought you know thoughtful strategy. The the I keep taking dollars off of that bet. Oh um, mm-hmm. uh, dear. Sadly, I, I keep I keep hoping they have something cool up their sleeves, and we're going to see some. Some really neat strategy, and maybe it's there. But we'll so see. far, it looks like they're they're in strictly in reaction mode. Right. Cool, yeah. Right, let's keep talking about it. the Thursday sessions are, are are still on. So just just the Tuesday, and I need to figure out how to get a better agenda built for these, um, um, which I'm working cool. on. Thanks, Klaus. Thanks, Josh. See y'all later. Cheers. Thanks, guys. Wow. I love being able to deep dive into a vendor's offerings and see what they're doing for these important topics because it really influences what's going on. One of the things that I enjoy doing in Cloud 2030, and I hope you will join us and participate, is actually looking at What a vendor is doing, how they're approaching problems, what problems they're solving, what challenges they see in front of them. Because I think we learn more from those targeted conversations than our general industry conversations. I love to keep it specific. If this is interesting to you, and I hope it is, join us at the2030.cloud. Be part of these conversations. Uh, Bring your topics, your questions, and insights. We want to hear them. Thanks. Thank you for listening to the Cloud 2030 podcast. It is sponsored by RackN, where we are really working to build a community of people who are using and thinking about infrastructure differently. Because that's what RackN does. We write software that helps put uh, operators back in control of distributed infrastructure, really thinking about how things should be run and building software that makes that possible. If this is interesting to you, uh, please try out the software. We would love to get your opinion and, and, and hear how you think this could transform infrastructure more broadly. Or just keep enjoying the podcast and coming to the uh, discussions and you know laying out your thoughts and how you see the future unfolding. It's all part of building a better infrastructure operations community. Thank you.